Giddy up. Welcome to episode 44 of the Purely Pigskin Podcast and the first of four draft specials heading into the 2023 NFL Draft. And joining me once again, second year running, is my good buddy, Ryan Tudor. Tudor, what's going on? It's the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> it sure is. It sure is. And I don't know two guys more into the draft than you and I. This goes back a long time now. We've both been following the draft for several years. We've been at least texting each other as the draft goes down, looking for those comments, how things are going, how your bucks are doing, how my fins are doing, how the first round is playing out. It's a time of year that you and I absolutely love, and uh, I just I, there's nobody I'd rather spend this time with than you right now. Feel the same way. Uh, over this time, friends have come and gone. You know, I've, uh, <laughs> all sorts of social media has come and gone. Political leaders have changed, and uh, here we are, man. It doesn't feel like anything on our end has shifted, man. And I can't wait to get going. Me, me too, my friend. And look, hey. We didn't make it down to that uh, road show in Nevada, but we're here and we're ready to get going. A lot of this is, as you know, uh, a Wolfpack podcast, isn't it? This is uh, <laughs> a lot of our faces in the uh, Reno, Nevada area. So shout out to all of you guys uh, and rate us so that we can get down there to the next convention. That's it. Nevada, we love you. It is, <laughs> it is top of the list. We want to get down there. Let's make it happen. We need our supporters in Nevada to get us there. You guys can make it happen. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, you know, it's been a little while. Off season, the Super Bowl, ancient history now. Nobody cares that the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl. That is all in the past. But we do have an off season full of storylines that we've been following along. And I'm just wondering, what have you been following? What's what's the biggest storyline for Tudor this offseason so far? It's a free agency, it's a combine. What, what's going on? Head coach changes, QB carousel, what is it? There are a lot of storylines. Um, I think there's the two big ones, as far as I can tell. Uh, the Aaron Rodgers out of darkness story uh, to the New York City media market. Uh, that whole thing is a mess, and I don't. It's interesting. He has uh, what an evolution in terms of the fan base and uh, how Aaron Rodgers is perceived and followed. A lot going on there, and uh, he seems to me, I don't want to say too much on that because it's been well covered, but uh, for me, Pete, when you think about quarterbacks, it's all about that second ring. I think Eli, I think Peyton, I think Big Ben, uh, and you really separate from the one ring guys. And uh, Favre, obviously, and now Rodgers, I think his career will be remembered uh, quite differently if he can win a second ring in New York, very unlikely, but in Green Bay or someplace else. Uh, I think that's where he's at. Uh, and then the second big story, which uh, how, how long have we been following the Lamar Jackson story? Is this yeah. 50, 60, 70 days and now uh, without the agent, his comments, the Harbaugh press conference, Deshaun Watson's uh, fully guaranteed contract from last year, uh, the franchise tag situation, uh, that really seems like a mess, uh, but it's in the headlines nearly every week. Uh, I got lots of sort of page two headlines, but I think Rodgers, Jackson, those are the two big ones. Uh, are you on board with that or you got another one? Well, I think for me it's the LJ story, and it's the story I never thought would be a story. You know, you just don't see MVP quarterbacks in their prime hitting the open market available, whether it's as a free agent or in a trade. I mean, th this is the player that every NFL team craves to have. This is the position that every NFL team understands. We have to have a guy here that can lead this team on and off the field, be our leader, win us that Super Bowl. And it's just it's baffling to me that we've got to this point, number one. Uh, but I think there's two main drivers, and you touched on them very briefly. One is the Deshaun Watson deal that the Browns handed out which was a terrible deal uh, that upset the entire league. And by league, I mean the NFL owners across the league. Because to give that guy such a huge guaranteed contract as the Browns did was just a, a terrible move for the Browns and for the league. It shows how desperate 
you know, teams are to get that quarterback that they're willing to look past so much and, and pay so much for a guy uh, that had so much trouble off the field. Uh, but now you've got Lamar and quite rightly saying, well, look, you know, I've been doing this my whole career, uh, arguably better. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a leader on and off the field. I don't get into trouble. Why can't I get a contract like that? And the rest of the league now is fighting against it. I think the word everyone's trying to avoid is collusion. But you, that's the one. And then the other piece to that is the fact that Lamar Jackson doesn't have an agent. And, uh, you know, I don't mind stuff like that. Like, if you want to represent yourself, you feel comfortable doing that. But we're kind of at the point now where I think he kind of needs an agent uh, to, to help settle this one way or the other. Because I just don't see him winning a battle with the team. They're going to franchise tag him, I think. He's going to be a Raven this year. And then we're going to be back at it next year, and we'll see. That's what I think. I don't think Lamar's going anywhere. Do you? Good question. I, I think the Ravens have their cards tight to the vest. So I, I'm not really sure what their front office is thinking, what their coaching staff is thinking. Uh, for everything that you said, uh, given his age, given his performance, his relative health, why on earth wouldn't you do this? Um well, I think it comes down to I, I I actually think the draft picks now are slightly overvalued. So when we review the draft last year, you see a lot of key people who didn't really perform. Uh, maybe it happens in year two or year three. If I'm in the back end of the first round, I would have no problem, obviously, giving up the picks. The question is, how do you structure the contract, make it so um, difficult for the Ravens to match probably cash in the first year? if they're going to stay competitive in their division, uh, could you structure the contract in a way that the Ravens don't want to match? Uh, but you said it without an agent, that kind of expertise, how do you structure a deal now that he wants out that the Ravens won't match? Um, I think a more likely scenario is an actual trade with the Ravens as another organization, because there's more stability in the deal and for what the compensation might be uh, Two two late first rounders is way different as you know, than a pick in the top 10. Um, I, I think he's so unhappy that he's going to uh, be someplace else come the start of the year. Uh, but it it's a compelling story, uh, one to watch. Um, I got a few other quick hitters. Uh, Later on. Yeah, I don't know if you want to comment on any of these. I mean, they're, they're definitely sort of the best of the rest. Uh, I'm intrigued by the second-tier quarterback movement. A half a dozen guys who maybe starters have sort of shuffled. Uh, in free agency, I think a little bit too much money spent early. No surprise. Uh, the Bears uh, spending really heavy on day one and tons of money to beefy interior defensive linemen. Uh, I'm thinking of Deron Payne. Um, I'm thinking of Hargraves. Uh, big, big, big money on the, on the interior of the defensive line. In my view, a bit of an overspend. Um, I also got the Jalen Ramsey deal, which I know you'll be happy about. Uh, <laughs> that seemed to come out of nowhere and materialize quick. But what was even more surprising was Darren Waller on the move. Um, and uh, for not a ton of compensation, uh, those of you who play fantasy realize the tight end position is so thin for offensive production. I was surprised to see that. And then finally, what about the offensive tackle movement? It looked like Orlando Brown was uh, going to be there in uh, KC. They switched to Jawan Taylor, a guy maybe you followed a little bit down there in Gainesville. And uh, Tunsil, every year, he's like the Darrell Revis. He's like the Darrell <laughs> Revis of offensive linemen. Every second year, he re-ups his deal for the most money. Uh, so credit to him. But uh, I'll, I'll run that down again for you. Second-tier QBs, uh, surprise moves in Ramsey and Waller, uh, yeah. the overspend early, uh, or some of the offensive tackle movement. Uh, all of those I'm intrigued by, along with maybe the commanders being sold. I think the Broncos are better. Uh Anything, any of those bones got a little meat on it for you? Oh, a lot of them do. And uh, we probably don't have time to get into all of them. But yes, as a Dolphins fan, I'm happy to get Ramsey. Uh, sad to see Byron Jones go. Uh, he had a tough go, one of the top cover corners in the league, laid up with injuries, can barely walk. I think, uh, did he retire or considering retirement anyway? Uh, just really sad for him. It's really too bad. But uh, to be able to get Ramsey, and it kind of shows where the Dolphins feel they're at. How quickly did the Dolphins go from being a mediocre team to we're in Super Bowl or bust mode? You know, <laughs> and, and, and this trade for Ramsey just solidifies that. So, you know, I, I think having Ramsey and Howard is going to be a great one-two punch 
for the Dolphins. And with Vic Fangio coming in as defensive coordinator, I think that's a big plus for Miami. Fangio never really panned out as a head coach, but he's still one of the top defensive coordinators in the game. So I'm really happy about that. Uh, the Waller trade surprised me on a couple of fronts. It surprised me because Daniel Bellinger looked pretty darn good for the Giants in his rookie year at tight end. Uh, I didn't get to see a lot of tape on Bellinger. There wasn't a lot of tape on him uh, accessible for me to see last year. So it was tough to rate him going into the draft, but he really performed well as a rookie tight end. You don't see that too often. I think from the Raiders' perspective, they thought that maybe Foster Moreau would step into that lead role. Unfortunately, he came down with cancer, which uh, uh, is really, really too bad. Really hope that he makes a full comeback, but unfortunately, he's had to step away from the game. So, you know, now all of a sudden, the Raiders went from having two really good tight ends to having none. And uh, it's going to be very interesting. People say this is a deep draft for the tight end position. That's something we'll get to in a later episode. But yeah, meat on the bones there for sure. On the uh, tight end front and on the people departing the Dolphins, uh, a little bit though on Mike Kosicki. This was a guy we looked at, a uh, fairly high draft pick, uh, four good years, I think it is, in uh, my, five. And uh, his best year, uh, two years ago, uh, 73 for 780 and two. Uh, six touchdowns a year before that. Uh, sad to see him go, or it's just time to move on? It's sad to see him go because he definitely has potential as as one of the better pass-catching tight ends in the league, but he just does not fit in Mike McDaniel's system. That's the that's the bottom line. And, uh, you know, he wants a guy that can block and, and run routes, catch passes. Gasicki's never been a great blocker. I think he'll be free in New England. Sad to see him go to New England of, of all places. places, a division rival, but you know how they love their double tight end sets up there. Uh, they'll put him with Hunter Henry, and, uh, you know, we'll see. I don't know what kind of platoon that's going to be. You know, they've, they've tried to add weapons around Mac Jones, so it'll be interesting to see. But Gesicki, I think, has a chance to rebound this year. It's just going to really depend on how they how they deploy he and Hunter Henry together. But, uh yeah, I wonder how much better he is than Jonu Smith. I mean, that was another tight end moved on early, but uh, interesting off off season uh, storylines as there always is. Yeah, and I think with Jonu Smith, it was more to do with the injuries. He's a talented guy, but uh, hasn't been able to stay healthy, so uh, they were willing to let him go. But we'll see how that goes. You know, I mentioned Daniel Bellinger a couple of minutes ago, and and uh, I think it it bears uh, this since this is our second year running doing this. To look back at last year, revisit how we assess the players coming into the NFL, and to kind of maybe talk about a few guys that, hey, we had them pegged as superstars and they turned out that way, or perhaps we didn't rate them and they, they turned out to be great. I'm sure we both have a few guys on our list that uh, we wouldn't mind uh, tooting the old horn on, and a few guys that we'd rather not say on air uh, how we had ranked them last year, but... Even still, let's let's give it a go. Is there anyone on your list you want to kick us off here? There's, uh, I mean, I don't know, probably the best pick in the entire draft uh, was Sauce, right? And we had him, uh, if I'm not mistaken, pretty high. Uh, it was a question of uh, maybe him and Stingley, but I think we, if I remember correctly, uh, felt Sauce might be the more productive pro. Uh, I mean, I remember talking about Trent McDuffie, who made a contribution and got himself a ring. Uh, but I think Sauce is the standout player, um, and I think that we had him quite high. So uh, give ourselves some prop there. Uh, you've got a guy who I need to give you lots of time to discuss. Um, but you knew I was in on Desmond Ritter, and I think that uh, looks like he's anointed the starter going forward. Uh, apart from Pickett, I think that uh, right now of the draft, uh, he's probably the the second best um, or second most promising going forward. Um, but if we're going to stick on the QB position, I don't remember saying anything about uh, Mr. Irrelevant. Uh, so uh, that's that's fascinating. This is Mr. Irrelevant all of a sudden, uh, if not for an injury. Uh, who knows how far he takes that team? And uh, that really became a storyline second half of the year. We're talking um, Brock Purdy for those who might not know. Yeah, and if they don't know now, where have they been? Because uh, <laughs> uh, from we've never heard about you to uh, being mic'd up in that's Philly. It. With the question, are you ambidextrous? Uh, so uh, you're, you're ambidextrous, aren't you, Pete? You can throw with both arms. Uh, well, not well. I guess technically I could, but uh, not well. No. Uh, you know what? Yeah, that QB. I think I, it's you. That, it's you're the one that gets the props on Desmond Ritter. You're the one. What did you have him ranked? One or two? 
Oh, I think I want to say two, but uh, yeah. it was high. I, I remember spending more time talking about him than any of the, any of the others. Yeah, Ritter's your guy. Howell and Corral. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So there you go. You get the props for that. I think. I mean, the jury is still out on every single quarterback that from last year. Even Pickett, I would say. You know, you might you might be optimistic about Kenny Pickett as a Pittsburgh Steeler. But I don't think you can definitively say, yeah, he's going to be a great quarterback at this point. I think there's still a good chance that Desmond Ritter ends up being the best quarterback out of this class. I think I had him ranked fourth or fifth. So you get the props for that. My QB rankings turned out to be a mess. And, you know, I'd like to say that it's just because my guys haven't been given the opportunity. Uh, I learned a little something there. I had Matt Corral ranked number one. He never got a chance in Carolina, and now it looks like they're going to be uh, moving forward with another franchise quarterback that they'll look to draft. It doesn't look like he's going to turn out. I had Carson Strong, number two, and I really like this tape. You know, I love them Nevada boys. I had that trio of Nevada Wolfpack players. But, you know, I guess what I didn't understand was that the, the NFL teams knew something I didn't, is that was his injuries had really hobbled him, and uh, he, went, he ended up going undrafted. So that's another mark against me. Uh, if I want to bring it back, you know, I got to mention my boy, Zonovan Bam Knight, baby. <laughs> a guy who I ranked as my RB5. And at the time, you said, I've not even heard of that guy. You know, he ended up getting drafted by the Jets, which really dejected me because they'd already taken Brees Hall. And I thought, what are they doing taking a guy, another running back, after they take Brees Hall? But when Brees Hall got injured, it wasn't Michael Carter that stepped in to fill that hole. It was Zonovan Knight, and you know, want to know something? He filled that hole pretty darn good. He looked like an RB1 in that <laughs> offense when Brees Hall went down. <laughs> and you know what? That made me feel good. So there's a couple. Uh, again, I could go back and forth here. Uh, the other guys that I feel good about were a couple of receivers that ended up on the same team, that being Christian Watson and Romeo Dubs. Again, Dubs from that University of Nevada Wolfpack, baby. Uh, I liked both of these guys. I had them ranked 9-10, Watson, Dubs. And they ended up both going to the Packers and both flashed potential as rookies. And I got to tell you, even with, and presumably, Rodgers leaving the Packers and uh, Jordan Love taking over, I think Watson and Dubs have shown enough. They're going to be just fine there. I think Love's going to be a good starting quarterback. And I think he's got two good young receivers that are really going to work well together. So, I, I, I'm still very much positive on all those guys. I also, on the flip side, had Isaiah Pacheco ranked as my RB19, which doesn't look so good, I admit, but I, I still maintain his running style is, uh, let's how do we say this? I, I don't think it's going to translate into a long career. We already know that running backs have a short shelf life. And the way that Pacheco runs, he runs with such violence, I, I honestly just don't see him ever being a, a lead back. I think he'll get some touches, but I think he's going to be prone to injury moving forward. I also had George Pickens, wide receiver out of Georgia, as my wide receiver 17. That wasn't based on talent. That was based on character issues. So I think I learned a little something there. Who knows whether they'll rear their ugly head or whether he's matured. I have no idea. But the talent is there. I shouldn't have had him ranked that low. Those are just a couple of mine. How about you? I mean, you've hit on two of the positions that I think you can evaluate early. Uh, the first one, running back. Uh, lots of good running backs. I think, the, as you said, they have a short shelf life, but they have an impact really early on. Um, talk to us about Damian Pierce, fourth round, 107 overall. And um, then you had running backs in the fifth and the seventh round. Uh, you said Pacheco already. And in the uh, fifth from the Falcons, um, Remind me of the name. We got Tyler Algier, right? Algier? Al Algier, yeah. Algier. Uh, yeah. Parlez-vous français. Uh, <laughs> 151 in the fifth round. I mean, and there's uh, other guys there who uh, are likely to make an impact. I don't know if you're a Isaiah Spiller guy. Um, I mean, Zamir White, fourth round, 122 to the Raiders, was rostered in fantasy leagues. So uh, a ton of deep running backs looking back. Uh, and then lots of good wideouts. I mean, I think we're a little bit uh, disappointed with the Jamison Williams, pardon me, Jamison Williams injury. Uh, but what about Jahan Dotson was productive? You Chris Olave. Yeah, Chris Olave, especially in the first half of the year. And uh, Garrett Wilson is going to make six, seven Pro Bowls. Uh, and he had 
guys like you and me under center, just imagine if there's an upgrade at the quarterback position uh, in New York. Uh, the route running, the hands, uh, a lot of big plays. So I think those are some uh, places that you want to go. Uh, also, you got to say that Seattle had a great draft. I mean, um, not just with Kenneth, Kenneth Walker, but deep in the sixth round, uh, finding uh, Woolen a tremendous quarterback, uh, potentially the number two quarterback of that whole rookie class behind Sauce Gardner. So uh, shout out to Seattle. I thought they had a really good draft, uh, at least as we reflect in one year. Um, but two, three years down the road will give us a better assessment. Um, a lot of fun. But now, Pete, you know I want to look ahead to this year's draft. Uh, and uh, your first question you had in uh, our pre-show meeting was, is this a strong or weak draft, and what makes you think that? Uh, tell us what you're thinking. Well, I mean, that is the that is the story being bandied about, that this is a weak draft class. I'm always hesitant to to say things like that because there's always good players in every draft, right? And uh, But at the same time, if I'm putting the players that I've been looking at watching tape on this year, heading into this draft, and I compare that to the players that I watched last year, I do have to, to, to admit that the talent pool isn't quite so high and that it's not so deep. And, uh, of course, there's a bit of variance there. For instance, you look at the quarterbacks. Last year it was a weak quarterback class. This year it's a pretty strong quarterback class. Uh, but conversely, last year it was a pretty strong wide receiver class. This year, not so much. So I think there's give and take in everything. I don't think there's as many defensive playmakers uh, in this draft as there was last year when I think we mentioned those corners, Sauce Gardner, the Aiden Hutchinson, some of those guys. I mean, there were some straight-up ballers on the defensive side of the ball last year. I'm not so sure they're all there. So on the whole, a week, I don't know, but definitely weaker than last year, I'm pretty safe saying. What do you think? Right with you. I think the QBs is the story. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was really lean at that position last year and uh it's a quarterback league as you know there's some quarterbacks i like yeah not quite the dominant front seven uh players from last year uh, i mean remember that whole uh bcs championship team from georgia was loaded and um even some linebackers dean was a guy we were paying attention to lloyd was a guy we were paying attention to uh so yeah i'm okay with you uh, kyle hamilton was another uh, guy we thought would make a splash uh, impact on defense um i'm intrigued about the offensive linemen that won't surprise you because uh, it seems like a lot of teams are overpaying at tackle, and you need to draft well. And I think there's good linemen uh, every year. And a uh, little bit more running back noise, potentially, uh, with Robinson from Texas in particular. Um, so I, I think it's a, it's a different menu. Let's put it to you that way. There's a different chef, but there's plenty uh, that you want to eat, uh, but different than last year in some of the depth at certain positions so i think the question i'll throw back to you um if it's top heavy in those first five six picks and quarterbacks in particular is that what's driving carolina or do you think they fell in love with a particular person because uh think about how much they gave up they have a young quarterback already who they've just drafted um did they overspend in compensation uh do you think that they're prepared to forfeit because there's a guy who's just that good at pick number one um, that for me is interesting, not just that they would make the move, but that they would do it so early in the off season. Tell me your thoughts on that, Pete. Yeah, this is a, this is a trend that we've been seeing a little more often. Now teams aren't waiting until draft day to make these big blockbuster trades where they're moving up or they're moving down. Uh, now they're making these trades ahead of time. Uh, it's more like they want to know what they're looking at going into the draft, not wondering if they're going to be able to pull off that deal and then being able to set their draft boards and draft accordingly. That's what it feels like to me. I think when I look at the Carolina Panthers, they're in an obvious rebuild here. Christian McCaffrey isn't there anymore. DJ Moore is not there anymore. The bottom line is they they need a draft class that's going to set them forward on a rising trajectory for the next 10 years. They need that this draft. So that's what makes me doubt that they're going to end up making a trade for Lamar Jackson or something like that. Because Lamar Jackson is in the prime of his career. He wants to win. He's on a team that wants to win right now. And if he's going to go somewhere else, as much as the money is important to him, he's not going to want to go to a rebuilding project and waste the rest of his, his years. I know you can build a winner pretty quickly in today's NFL, but you know 
guys aren't really willing to take that risk. They want to go to a team with a positive outlook. You know, these quarterbacks, when they're getting older, Tom Brady, he picked Tampa because Tampa was just needed the quarterback. That's all they needed, right? Rodgers, he's going to pick where he wants to go. Russell Wilson last year chose where he wanted to go. He thought Denver was, you know, prime. He, he looked at the offensive weapons that they had, the defense that they had. You know, that's what the guys don't want to take a risk. So I don't think Lamar's going there. I think they're drafting a quarterback for sure at number one. I don't think they're trading out or, or trading for a superstar quarterback. Yeah, I think you're spot on. Uh, I, I'll say, just say this. I, I think there's 20, maybe 22 teams that are a couple players away from a Super Bowl run. But I have the Panthers in that bottom grouping that aren't close. So uh, I agree with you. That's not where uh, Lamar would want to end up. Plus, if they sign the transitional deal, uh, that's a very, very, very high first-round draft pick to give up. So if he's on the move there, which uh, I'm not expecting, it would have to be after the draft. And then the uh, the two first-rounders are in uh, subsequent years. But again, that's not a team that's going to perform well. And uh, I agree with you. It's got to be a quarterback given where they're at and uh, also that they're shopping uh, other quarterbacks in, in uh, trying to maybe offload at that position. Um, there are a few defensive playmakers. I think two defensive guys will go in the top five. Um, and I would be tempted to have one of those guys slide down to seven or eight and think that maybe you can get a Will Anderson or a Jalen Carter. I know this isn't a defensive episode, um, but, you know, I don't like the Carolina Panthers, of course. Uh, I don't like the <laughs> Chicago Bears. Uh, so I hope they both lose uh, that trade. Well, <laughs> the, timing, you know- the timing of it was curious. I hate to say it, Tudor, but if I was to provide a counter-argument for the Panthers not going in for Lamar, it would have to be that the division is so weak that they would have a realistic shot at winning that division if they did have Lamar. Uh, there's no doubt the Bucks are rebuilding. We're not sure what the Saints are going to look like. They're an aging team. They just they just brought in a veteran quarterback, you know. but Carr, I, I don't know. I've, I've never rated Carr as being one of the top quarterbacks in the league personally. Uh, the Falcons – have some upside, but they're certainly not there yet. You know, they're, they're going to need their guys to bust out. We're going to need to see what Kyle Pitts can do this year. Um, Kyle Pitts. I don't even think the the Falcons are the best football team in the state of Georgia. Give me the Bulldogs uh, minus the Georgia Bulldogs (laughs) minus 14 on the road at the Atlanta Falcons. (laughs) Uh, But here's what I, if you might make the playoffs, you might win that division. If you're Carolina, just to have Dak Prescott hang 30 on you with uh, four missed field goals in the playoffs. So go ahead and win the division and get uh, skunked in the opening round. Uh, isn't necessarily how you want to build your team. Um, do you want to get into some of these quarterbacks now? Yeah, or is there anything else you want to say about the day? No, let's get to these quarterbacks. You know, this is – the quarterbacks are always the story of the draft, right? Last year they were the story of the draft because they weren't that good. This year they're the story of the draft because we got four guys who could conceivably all go in the top ten and – you and I are going to set forth our rankings, how we rank them one to four, because there's an obvious, you know, those top four guys are obviously the top four guys. And then maybe one or two best of the rest type guys after that, that you might've uh, seen, or that I might've seen that we like, but why don't you go ahead and give me your top four? How are you ranking these guys going into the draft? Well, here's the thing. I, um, I feel like we're playing chess, you and I, that now I'm trying to, uh, think what is pete thinking so that i don't duplicate what you're thinking and we make this a more interesting listen (laughs) i'll find i'll find some way to disagree with you don't worry (laughs) well here's where we'll begin and it's right off the top i don't quite think that uh the four are as obvious as you might think Uh, yeah yeah and we got i i think we're gonna have a fun conversation now and this really is the meat of the episode uh i don't let me just start really quick i don't have uh hendon hooker in my top four but I think you do. Am I correct? Or is he falling out of your top four? That That's incorrect, actually. I do not have Hendon Hooker in my top four. Okay, but I'm seeing him uh, anywhere from three to six, like QB three, four, five, or six in different drafts. So yeah. I wasn't sure if you'd have him in your top four. Um, and uh, it seems like Anthony Richardson slid up around the combine, but now he's sliding out um, right there on the edge of my top four. So um, you said in this segment, we're going to go top four and then take a peek at some sleepers. Um, but I already have some counter arguments ready for guys that I think you're going to overrank. Um, but let's see if we get there. That, that, this, is where, this is where we make our money, my friend. And uh, I think the conversation really is, who do you take at number one if you're the Carolina Panthers? Obviously between Young and Strout and uh, so many good players from OSU, so many from Bama. Uh, at number one, though, I do have Bryce Young. 
um, for the pocket presence. I understand that he's a little bit diminutive in terms of stature. That doesn't bother me. Um, I mean, this is uh, a proven winner. I think that uh, the caliber of the Crimson Tide roster this year wasn't as good as in other years. And I wish that he'd have been playing maybe three, four years ago uh, when they were loaded across the board. Uh, he's as good as any um, that I've seen at, under center at Alabama for a while. And the reason I have C.J. Stroud at number two, I think you have to have uh, either of those guys as your QB1. Um, lots of talent, as you know, in Ohio State. Uh, I'm not convinced the Big Ten schedule was nearly as competitive as the SEC. And um, this is no fault of his, but it seems to me that uh, Buckeye quarterbacks really struggle at the next level. We've seen a number of guys come through with massive numbers and uh, really not materialize in the NFL. So uh, are you okay with young one, Stroud two, or do you want to take us in a different direction? You know, I am going to take us in a different direction. I have Stroud as my number one quarterback in this draft. I think uh, all things considered, he is the guy for me. And I have to admit further that although I think it's a clear top four, uh, I initially had Stroud and Young as competing for the top spot and the next two guys competing for the third and fourth spot. I now think that it's Stroud, number one, and the other three guys fighting for two, three, four. And uh, I'll start with Stroud. I just When I put on the tape for him, I just love the way he plays the game. He's a gamer. He delivers the football with zip. He doesn't have the strongest arm in this draft, but he has a plenty strong arm. You know, he, he does not have a Chad Pennington arm. Okay. <laughs> He's got a strong arm. He can deliver that ball. He can make all the throws. Uh, he, but he has, a, he also has a deft touch, you know, something that some of these other quarterbacks don't have. So he can throw, he can make those tight throws that you need to have the zip on it. And he can make those deft touch throws where you got to put it over top of one guy and, and have it drop in front of another. I like that. I did see him try to force the ball into coverage a little too much for my liking, but you know what? He also has that my guy or no guy mentality that I love to see in a quarterback. He knows he knows the smart pass to throw for the most part, and uh, I think he's underrated as a runner. You know, a lot of people were criticizing him, saying, you know, oh, you didn't run like uh, Bryce Young, you didn't uh, run the ball like Anthony Richardson, but he didn't need to, quite frankly, and that's that's not a knock on him. He showed that when he had to. He could, he did it well, and I think he's going to translate into the to the best pro quarterback coming out of this draft. Young, on the other hand, I'm starting to have doubts with, and contrary to you, his size is a is a something to me. And if if there's one thing that the combine is good for, because I'm a tape guy more than I am a combine guy, but the one thing that the combine is good for is you actually get to find out how tall these guys are, and how much they weigh. Because when they're in college, their teams fudge those numbers to make them look better than they are. And all year we heard Bryce Young was six foot, even. And he gets to the combine and we find out he's only 5'10". And that to me is a significant drop. That's shorter than even the short quarterbacks in the NFL uh, who've made a name for themselves. 5'10 is pretty darn short. And uh, when you when you factor that with He's also not as good a runner as someone as, say, Kyler Murray. You know, and I think it's debatable who's a better passer. I know Murray gets knocked a lot too, but I, I've seen I've seen that he can throw the football around. Uh, I, I have serious doubts about Young. You know, not enough doubts that I would drop him way down my board, but doubts that he's the best guy in this draft, absolutely. Uh, I mean, on the plus side, yeah, he's very accurate. He does well to hit receivers down the field. Uh, I like the way that he can extend plays, but you know, size, <laughs> size, when it comes to an NFL quarterback, I still think it matters. You've got three guys that he's competing with that are all six, three or taller. And, uh, you know, I think, I wonder about how teams are going to look at that. Could be these, uh, lots of pre-snap motion, lots of, uh, rollouts in the, uh, current NFL. I mean, maybe you got a scheme. Uh, yeah, he's not going to hang in the pocket all day long. Um, is there any, what I said about the Ohio state quarterbacks, uh, underperforming at the next level, maybe because of depth, maybe because, uh, the, again, the competition in the big 10, uh, not quite as competitive, at least in my view in the sec, does that bother you at all that there hasn't really been a quarterback, um, come out of Ohio state and, and really set the league on fire? 
Well, what can you say, right? Sins of the father. <laughs> do, you, do we want to blame Stroud for, you know, I like Big Ten football. I got to admit, you know, it's not the SEC. Nothing is the SEC. It's the, it's the pinnacle of college football. But, you know, the Big, the Big Ten's got some pretty good football teams there. Pretty competitive rivalries. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, some, uh, there's some layups for sure <laughs> throughout the season for Stroud. Uh, but even the SEC teams get a few layups uh, during the season when they're playing at a conference. Well, if it's is the Big Ten watchable, of course. But, you know, from my vantage point, so is the CFL. I just mean uh, uh, the games are entertaining, but is the competition there? We, we have two other SEC quarterbacks, though, that we'll discuss uh, in a minute. Uh, just before we get there, is there any thinking, though, that Young and Stroud aren't the top two on everybody's board? Like, are you making a case that Young falls out of the top two? I, I don't mean uh, total picks. I mean... QB1, QB2. Right. Yeah. Now, Young is my number two ranked quarterback in this draft. Uh, but does that – I don't know that that translates to the NFL. Like, I could see the hype around Anthony Richardson after the combine was real. I mean, everyone was talking about him. And I think because his his skill set just really pops out at you, whereas someone like Bryce Young is a little more unassuming in terms of what he's able to do. Uh, Young kind of just gets the job done. Anthony Richardson's got the the deep ball. He's got the legs. You know, he's got the frame. He's got all those things that you notice right away. And, you know, I, I could see someone going for Richardson ahead of Young. I don't think it's going to happen, and I don't think it should happen. Uh, but it's it's not outside the realm of possibility is what I'd say. Okay, I'm there with you. And then, but you got Richardson and then his three, I'm guessing? I do, and that's a late change. I initially had uh, Will Levis number three, and, and it's really due to Anthony Richardson's potential. It's not so much based on what I saw on tape. It's to do with his potential. Now, you know, this hurts me to say, Tudor. It hurts me to say because you know I'm a Gators fan. But I'm, I'm just not sold on Richardson at the next level. Again, all, all the stuff is there, all the flashy stuff, but I watched the Gators more than anybody two years ago, okay? He was in a QB battle with Emory Jones, and everyone was calling for Richardson to see the field more. But when he got in there, he'd flash a couple plays, and then he'd throw a pick, and then they'd go back to Jones. Now, this year, Jones transfers out. Richardson gets the keys to the car in Gainesville, and – the thing that stuck out to me, especially early on in the season, was just how simplified the playbook was. I mean, it was vanilla, man. I'm not going to lie. There was not much sophistication going on there. They were keeping it real simple for him. And here's here's the kicker. I I have learned to become somewhat skeptical of those guys coming out of college that people say are a quote-unquote raw talent. Okay. And that's, that's something we've heard about Anthony Richardson. He's got all the skills, but he's a raw talent. He needs, he needs to learn how to harness them. We all assume that they're going to be able to harness them and go on to have great careers, but more often than not, it actually doesn't turn out that way. And actually, as a Dolphins fan, this, for me, goes all the way back to when we drafted Ted Ginn Jr. out of the Ohio State University in the top ten I, we heard the same thing. Man, this guy is so fast. He's going to be so amazing. He's a raw talent, though. He didn't. He wasn't asked to run many routes at Ohio State, but he's so fast. He's going to be great. And, I, man, I was so excited for Ted Ginn Jr. when we drafted him, and then he did absolutely nothing. He returned a couple kicks for touchdowns, and then he was out of here. And, uh, you know, he, he, he did end up carving out a career for himself, but nowhere near – that top 10 pick that the Dolphins drafted him at. Ever since then, you hear it, you hear it with different players at different positions. He's he's got all the talent in the world, but he's raw. And I've I have just learned to shy away from these guys. It's not a given that Anthony Richardson is gonna get it right between the ears, that he's gonna figure this thing out and become that quarterback that everyone thinks he's gonna be. What do you think? Well, it's funny how much it evolves in a couple of weeks. If you'd asked us around uh, combine time, you're down there in Indy. Uh, you and I didn't get our press credentials. Otherwise, we would have been 
there at the combine, maybe next year. Uh, you had some conversation. Could Richardson be number one? And uh, and obviously that was a bit presumptuous, but that's at a time that everybody falls in love uh, with the measurables. Um, if you'd asked me at that time, I think I will had I would have had Will uh, Levis maybe six overall. But now I think he's um, if Stroud and Young are sort of one and one A, then I think these two guys are in the next tier. And I really think that you could rank them any way you like. Um, and I think for the reasons that you outlined, uh, raw talent is there. Measurables are there. Um, but uh, not being able to uh, claim that starter job for two, three years, uh, not being able to win meaningful bowl games, uh, things like that uh, might separate uh, Richardson from these uh, these other top two guys. Um, I really wanted to make the case to get Dorian Thompson Robinson in there. Uh, I am intrigued uh, in part because I ended up seeing a few UCLA games uh, not in person, unfortunately, but um, he's got some tools. He's an exciting player. Uh, felt like he was a real competitor. They seem to rally around his leadership, um, but I can't make the case to get him into the top four. Okay. Uh, I wanted to. Say. Wanted to. <laughs> thought it would be compelling. Thought it would make for a good podcast, uh, but I'm, I just can't quite do it at this stage. Uh, very intriguing, though. Maybe uh, day two, day three pick. A guy you wouldn't mind drafting if you are secure in the quarterback position for the moment. Um, but maybe after all, these are the top four. I, I thought you would have a uh, hooker somewhere in those top four, which I thought would be a point of contrast. Um, but he's not even in my top five. In fact, uh, funny though, if you'd asked me on the 25th of October, uh, you'd think that he was uh, a top five overall pick. Um, but that college season, though not as long as the NFL season uh, does seem to separate uh, the wheat from the chaff as we get into December and then around new year's day. Um, so I'm all for one on that, but if oh, let me just get a little Will Levies from you. I mean, there's some inconsistency. I don't know what you think about the transfer. Um, he doesn't post great numbers in the SEC. I think it's some wishful thinking that maybe he's going to perform better at the next level. Um, when you're a little bit more of a tape head than I am, uh, he could be the best of the four, um, or he might start ten games in his entire NFL career. Uh, he, he could be. I think that's the thing with Levis. He could be the best quarterback in this draft. I have him ranked four. I only have Richardson ahead of him because of the ceiling. I think Richardson's ceiling, and this, again, is a good question for both of us, And is Richardson have the highest ceiling out of any quarterback in the draft? I think you can make a very strong argument that he does. It's just a question of if that's going to happen, right? And how high can can we, who are – trying to find the guy for our dynasty leagues that's going to lead our team for the next 10, 12 years, or NFL teams going to rank a guy like Richardson. He's so polarizing. Levis, if you were speaking about this somewhat pessimistically, I think you'd say, you know, he's similar to Richardson, big frame, uh, but he makes a lot of mistakes, and he's got a strong arm, as does Richardson, but he doesn't have the legs that Richardson has, therefore he's not as good. I'm not sure it's that easy. Uh, I think Levis does have the strongest arm of the top four quarterbacks, and that includes Anthony Richardson, although Richardson, mm -hmm. I think he threw a 70-yard bomb at the combine. Uh, so, I mean, may maybe they're uh, neck and neck here. But, you know, I, I like Will Levis. He's got a real high compete level, and really it, it is about those interceptions. If he can just, If he can just, you know, learn to check it down, Learn to put a little touch on the passes. You know, I, I think he could end up being the best quarterback in this draft, but he's just too inconsistent to really put him there. I think Bryce Young is much safer pick than both Richardson and Levis. I think Stroud's the total package. That's why I have him number one. Uh, but Levis has that potential. You know, we'll we'll see. But he does need to he does need to grow. And Richardson also for I guess and again for the fantasy guys in here. Uh, we should state that Stroud, Young, and Richardson are all two years younger than Will Levis. Levis is going to be a 24-year-old rookie. The other guys are all 22. So, you know, NFL teams and fantasy teams are like going to take that into consideration too. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I do in Levis's case like the um, two-thirds completion percentage, um, but the uh, touchdown-to-interception ratio isn't great. Uh, you and I spent most of our adult lives in basement apartments. Hard to talk about high ceilings. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> hard to talk about high ceilings. We'll get there one day, my friend. Um, for total uh, package high ceiling, I think that I have Stroud ahead of Richardson, but Richardson number two. Uh, and both with a higher ceiling than Bryce Young. I just think the um, uh, the floor and the possibility of consistency is a little better in the case of Young. Um, but inconsistency is a word that I have for Will Levis. Not as concerned about the age because um, there are a few quarterbacks in this class a couple years older than him still. Uh, maybe we'll get to those in just a moment. Um, well, I was wrong. The, the, the top four for us anyway is a consensus and uh, hopefully no injuries between now and the beginning of the draft. Um, but you and I, as a couple of grinders, really make our money, Pete. Really make our money with the sleeper picks, the back-end guys. And uh, there's two guys here that I'm intrigued by and two guys here that I think you like more than I like. And uh, let's just give this a shot. When I looked through... All right. I, I don't uh, know where you got this crystal ball from, by the way, but you always seem to have a pretty clear indication about who I like and don't like without us talking about it. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> yeah, I got uh, <laughs> all sorts of wiretap. I, I got friends in law enforcement. Uh, I got a crystal ball from Amazon, nine ninety nine, uh on Amazon Prime Day. Um one thing I'll point out just as we get to this is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, nine quarterbacks, only nine drafted last year, including Mr. Irrelevant. Uh, I think this year that number is going to be closer to 12 or 13. Um, I'll get to my two guys in a minute that I think could potentially um, be the Brock Purdy of this year, be a guy who develops a little bit later. Um, I just wondered if, uh, as you looked at the tape, as you looked at the body of work, as you looked at the measurables, I could see Clayton Toon being okay. the, the Pete Noid sleeper. I could see Aiden O'Connell being a Pete Noid sleeper, uh, especially now that you've outed yourself as a Big Ten fan. Maybe you're a Boilermakers guy. Maybe you uh, you like O'Connell and think that he can develop. Uh, this is like when you used to play that game, uh, Battleship, and you just called out a random uh, B6 it. hit or miss. Uh, on your deep sleepers... Assuming, I think, are you with me that 12, 13 guys get drafted? Uh, maybe I, 14. Or, is Toon or O'Connell move the needle at all for you in the, uh, you know, round six, round five, round six? I could see double digits for sure. I mean, there's no, let's be honest, there's very little uh, risk in taking a flyer on a quarterback late on in the draft, right? So I could definitely see that. Uh, but I got to tell you, you were out for my destroyer and you missed, okay? You just... <laughs> We're talking battleship here. It just didn't go for you. I'm going to give you a little – well, I'm not, no more hints because you've already thrown out enough names. You're bound to hit someplace. You know, you keep you keep guessing your A3s and your D7s and your, <laughs> your F10s. Eventually, you're going to hit something. But I'll tell you right now, the guy that I got ranked number five and the guy that, in my opinion, has the potential to be the best of the rest and maybe even end up as a top four guy. We'll see. I don't know about that, but – uh, a guy that I really enjoyed watching on tape and think that he could become something in the NFL is Max Duggan, quarterback. Is that right? Man, TCU. you're reading my notes. TCU. I thought you were just going to say – I thought you were saying BYU and you say, hey, Jaron Hall's your guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Max Duggan, 22-year-old senior, 6'2", 214. And, uh, man, does he compete hard. I love his compete level. Uh, and I, you know, he showed me a lot on tape, you know, he, he just, he does what he's got to do. He, he can fit that ball into tight windows. He can escape the pocket. Well, he's got quick feet, good lateral movement. He keeps his eyes downfield and he stands tall and he'll deliver that football under pressure. He took some hits this year, but delivered the football. He didn't just take a hit for the sake of taking a hit. He took the hit and he got the football where it needed to go. So I like Max Duggan. That's my, that's my best of the rest QB right there. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. Um, surprised by it, though, because uh, I just felt like when you get uh, into those sleepers that you and I were going to disagree because there's a lot to discuss. I thought, uh, you know, you're going to make a, a Tanner McKee argument. Um, thought you, again, you might make a Jaron Hall argument, um, hoping that you wouldn't settle on my two guys that were involved deep in the BCS. And uh, I got winning. I'm one of those guys who uh, I need to see leaders win ball games uh, more than I need to see. Uh, 40 times and uh, being tall. And uh, I don't know what is the average hand size. Pete, that stuff doesn't matter to me uh, too much. 
when it's the middle of December, early January, uh, and you need to put the team on your back. Uh, so I got uh, two uh, obvious guys that got tons of attention in their collegiate career. Max Duggan is one, who, by the way, underrated runner, not just tough, but uh, does have some quicks. Um, but I, I'm, you know me, I, I just fall in love with the predictable narrative. I like Remember the Titans. I like Rudy. Uh, this year's Rudy, none other. Your guy Stetson Bennett um, got to go. already be already be in the uh, NCAA football Hall of Fame. Uh, the story, uh, the interviews, the moxie. There's nothing to like about this guy in terms of height, weight. Uh, but how are you going to bet against this guy, Pete? How are you going to bet against uh, a guy? I don't think he's ever going to pay for a meal in the state of Georgia, uh, maybe in the entire uh, southern eastern region of the united states uh, this is a guy everybody's paying attention to in january is there a sense that those heroics that that narrative um has yet another chapter really written or do you think it's um holding the clipboard and making three million dollars in a year for the next 12 years <laughs> what does the stetson bennett narrative look like from this point forward well i'm inclined to say the latter and it's no it's no knock against him but I think you've got, after the top seven guys, and I'll just fill up my top seven real quick here. I got Jaron Hall, BYU, number six, and I got Hendon Hooker, number seven. So there's, there's my top seven. Uh, and I think after that, you're just taking a flyer, just hoping you, you, you know, find a needle in a haystack late in the draft. I don't think anybody after that is really standing out to me all that much at all. Uh, I know some people love Clayton Toon. Um, I don't, I don't think so. He's not, he doesn't do it for me. Uh, Tanner McKee, it's <laughs> Stanford. I don't know where they find these guys. Six five, six six. You know, you had Davis Mills a couple of years ago. Now Tanner McKee, six foot six for crying out loud. Uh, but you know, it just does. A lot of these guys just didn't show me much on tape. And uh, I gotta say, for me, it's a top seven, and then you, you got your day three guys after that. And maybe an undrafted free agent, uh, just to throw out a few names, Malik Cunningham, maybe a little bit interesting. Uh, Adrian Martinez, um, uh, potentially a useful undrafted uh, free agent, depending on what you want to do. Um, who knows? Maybe they can expand the quarterback rule uh, since that uh, 49ers-Eagles playoff game was so unwatchable. Uh, maybe there's some developmental pieces here. Uh, you know, maybe just fall in love with uh, – Doug Flutie, or maybe it's Russell Wilson and Drew Brees undersized quarterback play. Um, you need to have the talent, but you need to be a leader. And uh, again, at, at the collegiate level, for me, the winners are always intriguing. Uh, the disadvantage, though, when you seem to have such a good supporting cast uh, that guys like Ryan and Pete could go for five yards of carry running behind massive <laughs> offensive lines. Um, Max Duggan, though, I mean, a very interesting player. And uh, do you have a comparable for him? I mean, you, you probably did a little bit more research on him than I did. Uh, it's tempted, tempting for obvious reasons to think this is Andy Dalton 2.0, uh, given uh, the university and um, the lettuce. Is there a, an easy comparison for Max Duggan? I tell you what, I'm, I'm going to go right down your alley with this one and off totally. You're gonna, this is going to hit you out of nowhere right here. Hit me. All right. I'm going to the CFL for a comparison. All right, you ready <laughs> that for this bad? Eh? That bad? No, no, not that bad. Not that bad. This is this is a positive comparison, and I I wonder if you'll see it once you hear it. Are you ready for Bo this? Bo Levi Mitchell. Bo Levi Mitchell. Oh come on, we're talking real <laughs> CFL quarterbacks here. <laughs> All right, you ready for this one? Lay it on me. How about Matt Dunnigan? Ooh. Max Dunnigan. I mean, it's almost uh, right there for uh, MD. MD. Wow. I didn't think you were going to be reaching in the CFL crates for footage. I mean, that's on VHS. How did that's, you watch that? That's well, that's what I grew up on, my friend. Matt Dunnigan. I could see it. Uh, so, nothing else there. I, I mean, can you give me a little bit on Jaron Hall? Hall, you know, he and Hooker both get pegged back for me just because of how old they are. They're going to be 25 year old rookies for crying out loud. Um, whether I'm an NFL general manager, head coach, or a guy sitting on a couch looking to looking to make my next dynasty pick. I'm not big on 25 year old rookies, and uh, the thing is, if you're 24 years old in college, you better be dominating absolutely everybody. Uh, now Hooker looked great, but he had such a 
he had such an interesting collegiate career. I think it was uh, Virginia Tech he started, right? And uh, highly heralded going in. Then he kind of leveled out, and they, you know, there's another guy going to come in and take his job. So he transferred to Tennessee on on a low. Nobody expects anything from him. He, they expect he's going to be the backup in Tennessee. Then all of a sudden he rises up and takes the starting job, looks prolific, then gets hurt, major injury, and now he's entering the draft, going to be 25. I mean, I I just don't know. Like, he's one of those guys, maybe he turns into a success story, and, uh, you know, I, I wish him all the best. I, I got nothing against him, for crying out loud, but – I just I can only put him so high given his age, given his up and down collegiate career, and uh, Jaron Hall. I just you know I like him. He's got he's got some positives for sure. He didn't really spend much time under center for me, and that's always something I notice when I'm watching quarter, collegiate quarterbacks on tape. I want to see if they're engaged in a pro style offense, or are they going to be are they going to be blindsided when they get to the NFL when they got to step under center and drop back? Because you might not think that's a big difference, but it really is. You know, uh, putting a guy in the shotgun in college is something that's usually very beneficial for him because he can just take the ball and immediately have eyes down the field. The NFL doesn't work like that. Yeah, sure, there's a lot of shotgun, but no, you've got to be able to go under center, and then it's all about foot movement. you got to get back into that pocket, plant that back foot, and be ready to throw that football while making your reads. It's not as easy a transition as you think, and I just didn't see a lot of him under center, so... You know, I just, I can only, again, I can only put him so high. Uh, I like his ball placement, but uh, yeah, he's just, he's in that top seven, as I mentioned, but not, not, uh, not anything too special, I guess I would say. Yeah. I I mean, uh, lots of uh, age conversation from us tonight. Didn't see that coming necessarily. I mean, it's uh, two things. I mean, it's the COVID missed year potentially. Uh, I mean, you got some red shirting, some medical red shirting, and then you got the transfer portal, not necessarily having to sitting out, but all of a sudden, uh, if you're not going to be drafted in the top round or two, do you go someplace else for a year at the college level? I mean, I never imagined that's what the college game would look like. Uh, but all of a sudden you have guys uh, playing for multiple teams. Uh, and as you said, in uh, the case of Hayden, Hendon Hooker, rather, uh, two years at Virginia Tech, two very promising years at Tennessee. Um, you got the, uh, without looking at your notes, Pete, the uh, touchdown interception ratio for Hooker? Say 30 and 8. Not bad. Uh, 27, but only two interceptions. And uh, completing at a 70% uh, clip. Uh, The first year at Tennessee, 31 touchdowns to only three interceptions, uh, which means five picks in two seasons, uh, 24 games started in Tennessee. Yeah, it's only one stat to throw out there. I mean, it's not the entirety of it, but I know that you're a guy who uh, has a priority on ball security and uh, decision-making, and uh, the transfer portal, especially for quarterbacks, is fascinating, and not just that you can move around easy, also the NIL money, which means if uh, some of these college towns are just in the middle of nowhere, um, some guy at a car dealership wants to give you a ride uh, for a full year and maybe uh, a couple of racks, as the kids say, a few thousand bucks and a new car, why not do that for an extra year before entering the draft? And uh, Pete, maybe you're going to see older and older quarterbacks coming into the NFL because you can make a bit of bank uh, for the first time, legally at least, um, in college. Uh, Do you want to give us a closing thought there on NIL, on transfer portal, uh, on quarterback age? All pretty interesting. Yeah. Go ahead and tell us what you think. Yeah, I think that's going to be a real ebb and flow. There's a big conversation happening in the NCAA right now because the NIL is, quote unquote, completely out of control. Uh, as you said, it's going to benefit some, ultimately it's going to benefit some guys to stay an extra year. I think still that the biggest determining factor about a player coming out is, is my draft stock going to get any higher than it is right now or not? Because if it's not, then they're going into the draft because you can make more money in the NFL even still. Yes, you can get more at the collegiate level now, but you're still going to make more in the NFL. And if your draft stock is higher then that just means your rookie contract is going to be higher still. So uh, if staying an extra year is going to boost your draft stock, then definitely you have even more impetus to stay now because your NIL deals are going to help boost that financial piece even more. But I think the draft stock is still the number one there. Tudor, this has been amazing, man. I'm, I'm, I had a great time this first episode. 
And I cannot wait for our subsequent episodes. Thank you so much for being back on the podcast. And we'll see you and all of our listeners next week. See you then. Appreciate it, Pete. Thank you. Until next time. Until next Thursday. Take her easy.